So we're up to Daf Vav Ahmed Aleph. The two dots about four lines down. Tanya, Abba Binyamin Amar. Second, yeah, Tanya. We learned in a brisa. Abba Binyamin Amar. Abba Binyamin says, "Il mali nasna rishos laayin liris." If Hashem would give permission for our eyes to see what's really happening around us, then what we notice is that we are surrounded. By demons, we are surrounded by what we call mazikin or shaitan. These demons—it's hard to know exactly what the Gemara means by this. Um, we're just going to have to assume that there's another dimension that we're not aware of. Now, in this other dimension, there are these demons surrounding us, and if Hashem would give permission for our eyes to actually see these demons, we would not be able to stand up. We would, the fear of these mazikin, these demons that are surrounding us, would be so overwhelming that we would just collapse. Amr Abayah says, Inhu nafishi minan, they are far more numerous in number than the amount of humans in this world. And they are surrounding us. Um, Taisus explains they are surrounding us in the way that there are these like um, little hills around the furrows in a um, in a vineyard, right? That they're literally surrounding us like hills around a mound. Amar Ravuna, Ravuna says, alpha So Ravuna says, every one of us has 1,000 demons on our left and 10,000 demons on our right. Amar Rava, Rava continues, So now he's referring to what we call the Yarchi Kala. So what they would have is twice a year, they would have a Yarchi Kala before in, in, um, in the months of El and in the month of Adar, they would have a Yarchi Kala in Babel in which people would come to learn Torah. And at that time period, it got very crowded. So what they describe that is that the Duchka, the Havi the crowdedness that there was at the Yarchi Kala, it was extra crowded because of the fact that there were demons at this Kala and they were giving, filling up this room in a way that made it even more crowded than it would have been naturally. Have Hane. People's knees that get tired, right? I guess this is like a, today we would consider this to be like a cartilage issue. But in those days, they said that the reason why this happened occurred due to the the demons. Hani, money, the Rabbanan, the Balu the clothing of the Rabbanan that would be worn out. And the Chachamim normally, Robin, I think maybe you should put it on mute. Thanks. So these, the individuals of the Chachamim, the Chachamim did not work for, they did not you know, do manual labor for a living. And yet still, sometimes they would find that their clothing would get worn out extra quickly. So the Gemara says that's also to blame on the demons who are causing it to be worn out quickly. Hani, Kari, the Menachvin Minayu, the, this is talking about, one second. Kari, the Menachvin Minayu. Hi, man, the boy. Right. So, if if you want to know, you want to know if they are, um, if you want to know what these demons look like, right? Hi, man, the boy, the maidal. Who you want to know what they look like? Lysi, kitma nehila, benahader abkoria. You should take these, um, some sort of ash, I think, sifted ashes. 
and put it on your eyes. And then and in the morning, you will actually be able, not, I'm sorry, not on your eyes. You put it around your bed, actually, right? And then in the morning, you will see, in the morning, you'll you'll know that there were demons around your bed at night. How will you know there's demons around your bed? Because what you'll see is that there are these little uh, appearance of chicken legs around your bed in the this, uh, sifted ashes around your bed. And that is coming from the demons. If you actually want to see them, actually not just see the evidence of them in the next day, but you want to actually see them. You would take the afterbirth of a black female cat that is the firstborn of a black female cat, and you would burn the ashes of that afterbirth. You would then take that ashes, you would throw it into a fire, and you would grind it down, and and then you would fill up your eyes with them. And you'd be able to see the actual demons. Now what you would do is afterwards, you would take these ashes and you don't want, these, if the, these ashes would fall into the hands of the demons, bad things would happen. So you would take these ashes and you would stick them into a some sort of an iron tube and then you would seal the iron tube with a, a seal of iron and Rashi explains that the demons are not able to that's something they weren't I guess they didn't have opposable thumbs they were not able to unscrew this um, capsule so and you would cover its mouth so that they would not get damp the people who are using this trick to be able to see them wouldn't get damaged by the demons getting to see getting these actual ashes actually did this and he saw them, and he got damaged from having seen them. Maybe some sort of um, mental damage. I'm not sure what exactly damage we're referring to here. The Chachamim asked for mercy on him from Hashem, and he was healed from this illness. What the demons? Yeah. So, so there's different ways to explain this, this this whole the whole idea of demons. The Rambam, I don't think, would understand this Gemara literally. I think the Rambam would say that this is not meant to minister literally, or perhaps if it is literally, the Rambam would say that this is a machlekas. Um, this is a. It's not so clear that this would exist. The Rambam doesn't seem to take these types of Gemaras literally. Um, I think many people would take it literally. Shulchan Aruch says that you're not supposed to go into an abandoned building. He says three reasons why. Like the Gemara that we did earlier. The Shulchan Aruch says all three reasons. Ramu doesn't say all three reasons. Ramu just says you're not supposed to go into an abandoned building. Shulchan Aruch says here are the three reasons you're not supposed to go into an abandoned building. Right? And he says one of them is because of Nazik. Shulchan Aruch seems to be taking it very literally. So I'm not so bothered by it because there are dimensions that they didn't know about till 100 years ago. In other words, I mean 150 years ago where they weren't able, when did they invent the microscope? 200 years ago? A lot longer than that. Okay, fine. <laughs> Whenever they invented it, I'm sure nobody believed that there was something that you weren't able to see with the naked eye, right? Now we've gotten a lot, lot, lot smaller than that. So is it possible that there's other things and there's a thousand of them on my left right now, 10,000 on my right right now? It's possible. I don't know. Tamar seems to say. Okay. Tanya, Abba Binyamin, Abba Binyamin says, Ein tefillah shal adam nishma'as knesses. The davening a person has does not get heard by Hashem unless he is in shol. The Pasuk says to listen to the, the rina is song, and to the prayer, right? So what we say is like this. We say that the the makim rina in the place of song, in the place of song, that's where there should also be tefillah, that's where there should also be prayer. Now Rashi explains that why is that considered to be a place of song? Because in the 
in Shul is when we say Shiras Vesheshbachis is when we do we uh, we praise Hashem. Praising Hashem is considered to be a song, and that's a particularly apropos place for us to daven, where our tefillahs will then be accepted by Hashem. Amar Ravin Bar Rav Ada Amar Rav Yitzchak Minayat Shakadosh Baruch Hu Matzi B'Beisak Nasas. Here's a really beautiful Gemara right now. How do we know that Hashem is found in the in Shul? Shenemar, because it says Elikim Nitzav Ba'adaskal. So this is a pasuk in. Where is this pasuk? It is in Tehillim, and it says Hashem stands in the congregation of Hashem, basically, right? Now we we know that Adas, right? Where do we know that a congregation is ten people total? We know that from the Meraglim, right? The Meraglim were considered a Ada, a congregation, and that's how we derive the law that you need to have ten people for a minion. So this pasuk in Tehillim that tells us that Hashem is standing in this in the congregation of him of of God. That tells us that Hashem is actually found whenever there are 10 people at, with a minion. And how do we know that when there are 10 people davening, that Hashem, the, the presence of Hashem is with them. So two different things. First of all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is one manifestation or some sort of representation of uh, an aspect of Hashem, is always found in the basic Nasas, in the Shul. And second of all, when there are 10 people praying together, then we have this other idea, the Shechina, the presence of Hashem is also found in that place. And we bring the same process for both of these ideas. And how do we know that when three people are sitting, you have three Dayanim, three Jewish judges are sitting to pass judgment. Even then, the Shechina is with them. Because it says, It says that in the presence of Hashem, you shall judge. How do you know that when there are two people sitting and learning Torah together, that Hashem's presence is with them? It says that at that, sorry, Hashem. It says, and then they will speak the the fearers of God one to his friend, and Hashem is actually part of that presence. So we see that Hashem is actually found when there are even just two people are sitting and speaking and learning together. Hashem is in their presence. Um, okay. My What does it mean to those who are, you know, sort of um, calculating his name? There's a special halacha that when it comes to doing a mitzvah, if you have intent to carry out a mitzvah and something happens and you're not able to carry out that mitzvah, Hashem looks at it as if you actually did end up carrying out that mitzvah, even if you did not end up accomplishing it. Because what we say is that Hashem looks at your intention to carry it out and he considers it as if you actually have carried it out. Now, now we go even one step further, right? So, so far we said when there's 10 people diving together, Hashem's there. Three people judging together, Hashem's there. Two people learning Torah together, Hashem is there. Now we take it one step further. Even if you have just one person who's sitting there and learning Torah, Hashem's presence is found there. It says, In any place where you, where you mention, I'm sorry, where I mention my name, I will come on to you, and I will bless you. Now they want to ask the obvious question, right? There's a kavachoma here. If we already said that even one person learning Torah, Hashem's there, so why do we need to go through all the other next steps then, right? Just say, if one person's learning, Hashem is there. And obviously, if there's two people learning, Hashem is there. Obviously, if there's three people judging that Hashem is there. Obviously, the ten people praying, Hashem is there. So why do we need to, to list all these cases? If even one person learning Torah, Hashem is there. Why do I need to tell you that when two people learning Torah, Hashem is there? If two people are learning Torah together, then Hashem is going to write down the words of learning that they're 
exchanging with each other, he's going to write it down into what we call the Sefer, as a corner of the book of remembrances, right? Special book that Hashem is going extra, extra remembered, and Hashem is going to open that up at the end of the year. So when two people are learning the Torah together, then Hashem writes it down. When one person is learning the Torah, it's not written down in the Sefer Zechronos. Not written down in this book of remembrances. Chad, loy mechtaban milahed, the Sefer Zechronos. One person learning the Torah by himself, Hashem does not write down these words in the book of remembrances. But one second, but if you already told me that two people, and they're also going to be written down the Sefer Zechronos, then why do I need to tell you that when three people are learning the Torah, are, are sorry, are giving a judgment that that will also be written down? Bless me, boy. Do we need to say about three? What might I have said? When they're giving a judgment, generally speaking, you're giving a judgment, two people are fighting with each other. So they're fighting with each other. They're helping these two people get over their fight. They're deciding who the judgment is going to be with and the correct judgment in this specific circumstance. So that's not going to be a situation where Hashem is necessarily going to be found. That's not a Torah situation, you might think. And the Shekhinah is not necessarily going to be found in that situation. The, 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 what the Gemara is trying to teach us is that when you are passing the judgment, that is the judgment of Torah, and the, when you say these two people are fighting about, I think you owe me $1,000. No, you only owe me 800 And they're fighting back and forth, and it's just like a little fight, and you're just trying to make peace between them. No, that itself is Torah. If you're going to follow the laws of the Torah, that itself is considered to be Torah. Hashem is found there. And if even when there are three people doing judgment, sorry, me, boy, do I need to even tell you that there are ten people coming to pray that Hashem is found there? Asara kidma shchina ba'asya. Tulasa ad diasi. When there are ten people who are going to be coming to pray in, in Shul, Hashem actually comes and waits there for us to come. Whereas if there are three people sitting down to pass judgment, Hashem comes once the three people are sitting ready for the judgment, then Hashem comes. Right? So it's trying to illustrate just how important it is to go to show really at the Davin of the Minion. That's really what the Gemara is emphasizing here. So, 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 here, so, here, so here, here's a, a question for today's date. Um, so it says three, two people sit together. So the people writing the Gemara had no idea that you're sitting in one room and I'm sitting in another room watching you on the video. Right, it's true. So I wonder if that counts. Um, it's a good question. <laughs> um, I think it counts. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. No, you can't do that if you want a Minion. No. Why would this count? Well, because I think that the words really say, listen, do I think that the conversation that Rob and I are having right this minute will be written in the Sefer as a Kornos? Yes, I think it will be written in the Book of Remembrances, right? The conversation we're having, Rob is not. <laughs> so Alan wants to say that maybe you're not part of our conversation to the extent that you might not be written down, but the rest of us will be written down. But I think you'll be written down too. Amar of Oven, Bar Rav Ada, Amar of Yitzchak. Rav Oven, the son of Rav Ada, said in the name of Rav Yitzchak, Right? Now, I just want to preface this with a statement. The Gemara that we're going to do today is going to be describing Hashem as wearing tefillin. It's going to be describing Hashem as davening. It's going to be describing Hashem as getting angry at times. The Rambam would say that absolutely none of this is meant to be understood literally. Now, clearly, the fact that Hashem is wearing tefillin is not meant to be understood literally. Hashem cannot have a, a physical body, right? So this is a, a metaphor for something far deeper than that. And the idea of Hashem davening is also going to have to be understood in a very not literal sense. And the idea of Hashem getting angry, Ramam would also say Hashem does not have the ability to get angry. Emotions are something which are unique to humans and Hashem cannot have them. But we're going to go through the Gemara. If we weren't doing that, I mean, we might spend time with going through the Marashas, who will explain exactly what each aspect of the Gemara is trying to tell us. But as it is, we're just going to read it as if it's meant to be understood literally, but know that it's not actually literal. So... How do we know that Hashem puts on tefillin? Shenemach. Uzay. 
So the, the Pasuk calls us that Hashem swears with his right hand, Ubezroya. So Ubezroya is not so clear what this means. Over here, the, the Gemara assumes that it's referring to his left hand. So it's referring to his right hand, is Yuminai, right hand. Ubezroya is actually referring to his left hand. Uzai, Uzai. When it says his right hand, what are we referring to? What is Hashem swearing with? Normally when you swear, right? If anybody ever has to go to court, to a Jewish court and take an oath, what do they do? They swear with an object of mitzvah in their hand. So they take a, a Sefer Torah. They actually have to swear on a Sefer Torah. And today what they do, you know, if you ever see someone getting sworn in, they'll take a Bible, they'll put their hand on a Bible. That is coming straight from, from us, that you take a mitzvah object when you're swearing. So we're using this idea to say that when Hashem swears, he has something in his right hand, he has something in his left hand. What's in his right hand? The Torah. Shenemar, we bring a Pasuk to this idea. In his right hand, there is a, um, a Torah of fire um, to, to go high. And in his left hand is Uzay. Uzay means um, like a, a splendor, I guess. Elut that is referring to Tefillin. Must be referring that his left hand has Tefillin, right? Seems to be Hashem is a righty, right? I think that's pretty, pretty obvious. Anybody who's a lefty here, sorry. Yeah, we got some lefties here. Sorry, guys. I mean, it's, it's all good because Hashem's not actually wearing stone. Shenemar. How do we know? How do we know that Hashem? That, I'm sorry. How do we know that Tefillin is Oiz? Shenemar. Hashem Oiz la Moyitain. That it says that um, Hashem has the splendor to to um, to his nation. He shall give. Uminayin shat Tefillin Oiz. How do we know that Tefillin is Oiz? Aim li Yisrael. How do we know that Tefillin is considered to be a um, an object of splendor for Israel. And all the nations of the world will see that the name of God is called out on you. And they will be afraid of you. So how will they see that? They will see that from this film that we are wearing. The Tanya. These are the Tefillin Shabarosh that will cause them to recognize that there's something special and unique about the Jewish people and that they will then become afraid of us. So we see that Tefillin is called Uzay, and we see that Hashem swears in his left hand is Uzay. So the Gemara says that this means that Hashem is wearing Tefillin on his left hand. The Tefillin of the Master of the Universe, Mak what, what does it say in it, right? So our Tefillin, so Rashi explains a little bit. Rashi says, the Tefillin that we have, they have parshias that are all about describing the connection that we have to Hashem and the fact that we're obligated mitzvahs and we're obligated to love Hashem. Presumably Hashem's Tefillin are not going to say the same thing in them, right? He doesn't need this tefillin to say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. So what does this tefillin say in them? His tefillin brings a different Pasuk, and the Pasuk says, who is like my na- your nation, Israel? One nation alone on this earth. And the Zakadosh Baruch Hu become praised, uh, yeah, praised with the, with the praises of Israel. In yes, Yichsev, Es Hashem Hemarta Hayim, so Gemara is going to explain what this pasuk is telling us. Hashem says to Yisrael, "You have made me into one unique thing in this world." In other words, Klal Yisrael have accepted monotheism, and they accept that Hashem is completely unique and stands alone. There's nothing like Him. So the same way that you made me into something very unique and alone, I'm going to make you into something like that too. You made me into one unique thing, Shenem. How do we know? Because what do we say every day, twice a day? That is what we say about Hashem every day, that He is a unique, uh, completely unique and nothing like it, right? And I shall make you into this also a unique portion in the world. And that's how Hashem describes this as well. 
said, the son of Rav said to Ravashi, okay, good. Now, we know Tefillin Shalrosh is how many different compartments? There's four compartments. Tefillin Shalyad is one compartment, but Tefillin Shalrosh is four compartments. So you've explained to us what the Tefillin Shalrosh of Hashem has in one of those compartments. It says, but what does it have in the other three compartments? In the other compartments, what does it have? So the Gemara is quoting two different sukkim. So one Pasuk is in, they're both in Devarim. One says, Is there a is there a, a nation like this that has Hashem is so close to them whenever they call out to him, Hashem is there? And it continues. And there is there one nation as great as this that has these laws and special laws that they follow the entire Torah? So that's what it says. Another two things that it says in, in Hashem's Tefillin. Ashracha Yisrael also says, Ashracha Yisrael, this is a Pasuk in, also in Devarim. Ashracha Yisrael, Micha Meicha, is there anyone like you? And Amne Shabbat Hashem, a, a nation which, which uh, cleaves Hashem. Oi Hanisa Elikim, Ula Sitcha Elyon. So it's a bunch of different Sukkim that are describing Kalal Yisrael's, our relationship to Hashem, right? The way that we desire to connect to Hashem. Iachin, Gemara says, one second. In our in our tefillin shall rush, right? We have four compartments. Each compartment is one piece of parchment with one paragraph of Torah on it, right? So we just listed, I think, six different Torah portions that Hashem has in His tefillin, right? So that's going to be more than four compartments. That'd be six compartments. Ellis, so Gemara answers, kimi gado, umi gado. The first two gaigados, the dami ladadi, they're very similar ideas. Bechad beisa, they go into one compartment. Asherachi Yisrael, mikam Yisrael, bechad beisa. The Pasuk of Ashrach Yisrael, the Pasuk of Mika Amch Yisrael, go into a different compartment by, together because they're also similar ideas. The next Pasuk goes into one compartment. And then the, the, the sixth thing goes into one compartment. And all of these are written together on one parchment in one compartment on the Shaliyah. Right? All six of these. All six of these. Mika Amch Yisrael, Yeah. Yeah. All those are on one compartment. Amar Rav and Bar Amar of Yitzchak. Now we're going on to a different topic. Amar Rav and Bar Amar of Yitzchak. Kol HaRaga Lavei Lebesak Nessus. Anyone who is a regular, a habitual davener in the Besak Nessus in Shul. Voloi Ba Yemechad. And he doesn't come one day. He misses one day. He oversleeps. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mashalai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks, where is he? Shinemar. Mi Bechem Yorei Hashem. Shemeya Bechol Apte Esher Halach Chashechem. Ve'in Noigalei. So it's quoting a Pasuk, and it says, who by you is a fearer of God who listens to the voice of his servant, who comes to, and then he sees that he's not there, right? So it's basically describing Hashem as there's, there's a certain person who always comes, and then today he's not here. Hashem wants to know, where is he? If he's going, if he's going to do a Dvar Mitzvah, Hashem is happy. But if he's going to do something that's just a Dvar Mitzvah, it's an optional thing. He says, I'm going to take care of this, and therefore I'm missing Davening. Then Hashem is not going to allow this to fly. Yiftach v'shem Hashem. He, this person, the continuation of the Pasuk says, Yiftach v'shem Hashem. He trusts in the name of God. Why is Hashem not going to let this slide? Because he should have, he's doing this something optional. That means it was not a necessity to do right now. But he said this is more important than taking care of, of Hashem's requirement of going to pray with a minion in the proper time. And so, so somebody says that, what he's basically saying is that I don't, I don't think Hashem can take care of my problems. I need to actually take care of my problems by myself. So he doesn't really trust in Hashem being able to do everything. So that itself is a, is a tremendous disrespect. 
If Hashem comes into the basic Nessus and he does not find 10 people there, he immediately gets very angry. How could it be? Why did I come here and there is no man? Karasi, I called out and there is no one to answer me. Rashi explains that what type of answering are we talking about? We're talking about the idea that unless you have 10 people to dive in together, then you cannot say Kedusha, right? You're not allowed to say Kedusha. You're not allowed to say Kaddish. You're not allowed to say Baruch right? So Hashem, we learned earlier in Brachas that Hashem waits for us to say Amen Yehishmei Rabbah, right? And if we don't have 10 people in Shul, we can't say Amen Yehishmei Rabbah. So Hashem comes to Shul, he sees there aren't 10 people. He says, I'm calling out and there's no one to answer me because there's no Dabr Shabbat Kedusha when there aren't 10 people davening together. Amar of Chalvei, Amar of Huna. Chalvei says the name of Rav Huna. Anybody who has a very, as a, what we call a makm kivua for their, they, they have a set place for where they daven, that has the God of Abraham is going to come to help with what they need. When he dies, they will say, is he a, a, a humble person? Is he a chassid, a righteous person from the disciples of Abraham Avinu? How do we know that Abraham Avinu himself had a specific place where he davened? Because it says in the Torah, it says that Abraham woke up in the morning and he went to the place where he stands there. When we say Amida, we say standing, we mean Fila. How do we know? It's describing Pinchas. And it says, and Pinchas was standing by Yefala. The Yefala, Rashi tells us, is one of the ten lishayness of Tefillah, one of the ten different languages that the Torah uses to describe Tefillah, to describe praying to Hashem. So we see that Bayamoid is in reference to Bayefala, Tefillah. And we also see that Abram woke up and he went to the place Asher Amad, which is also Tefillah. So we see that Abram had a Makkum Tefillah. Abram Levino had a set place where he davened every day. And if we then follow in his footsteps and have a set place to dive in every day in a Vesak Nessus, where Hashem is going to come join us if there's 10 people. I'll actually be there even before we get there. Imagine how much more so the tefillah will be, will actually get straight up to the Kisei HaKavit. Um, I think he knows. I mean, uh, yeah, I think Hashem knows, yeah. Yeah. I think he's angry at whoever had the ability to come and didn't come. There's still a minion. No, no. If there's a minion, then Hashem's not angry, it sounds like. Oh. The earlier Gemara yeah. sounds like Hashem will punish the person who regularly comes and then decides to miss. No, no, you're not safe, guys. You're not safe at all. I don't like that smile there. No. The guy who regularly comes to Davin, Hashem is angry at him. Al-Achas Kama as we say. How much more so the guy who never comes to minion? It seems to me like uh. there's only nine people and he gets angry. No. <laughs> No, how can you get the nine people who came? That's not fair. Amar of Chal, but what was that? I would say it's a lot easier never to come to show then, because you'll never be in trouble. Right, right, it's true. It's true. Amar of Chal, Amar of Huna. Amar of says in the name of Huna, If you're leaving the Besak Nessus, you should not take large steps when you're leaving, right? You're not supposed to run away from the Besak Nessus, right? That's only true when you are going away from it. But if you're going towards the basic nessus, actually, it's a mitzvah to actually run towards the basic nessus. We run to, to know God, right? So if you're on your way to Shul, you're actually supposed to be running to Shul. But if you're leaving Shul, you're never supposed to be running away from Shul. When I was in high school, after Mincha, there was a 30-minute break to play basketball. And like we all used to like, 
get lined up by that door like that last Kaddish. We were lined up by that door and start running out that door to get to the basketball court first because the first 10 guys have to play the first game. Next five guys have to wait, and the third five guys probably didn't get a game at all. It wasn't so good. Amir Abzera. Mirash, originally, when I saw the Rabbanan, I saw they were running to Shul on Shabbos to go hear the Drasha on Shabbos afternoon, I think. I don't think this is referring to the Drasha during Davening. They did not have a Drasha during Davening in those days. But Shabbos afternoon, before Mincha, the, the, the rabbi used to talk in Halacha. Right? There was no sermon. That sermon is a, is a modern day invention. It's like 100 years old or so. Um, I thought that they were violating Shabbos. What's he referring to? On Shabbos, you're not supposed to walk the same way you walk during the, during the week. During the week, you're in a rush. You're, you're part of the rat race. You're running here. You're running there. You got to get things done. On Shabbos, you're supposed to walk in a more, in a more um, settled way, a more serene way. Everything is good. You don't need to run. And you shouldn't run on Shabbos. But, and he saw these people running on Shabbos. So he said, you're running on Shabbos. You're not allowed to run on Shabbos. When I heard the words of Rabbi Tanchum was said in the name of Rabbi Shuvah, a person should always run to hear it by halacha, to hear something about halacha, and even on Shabbos, as it says, after Hashem you shall run like a roaring lion. And now I also started running because now I recognize that even though it's Shabbos and even though we have this concept of you should be more calm on Shabbos and shouldn't be running on Shabbos, specifically when it comes to learning Torah or running towards Torah or running towards davening, that you're permitted to do even on Shabbos, not just permitted, you're encouraged. Amar Reb Zera. Reb Zera says, Agra Pirka Reheta. So Reb Zera says, the reward for coming to hear the drasha is the running. To hear is the running to come to hear the drasha because very often you're going to come to hear the drasha and you walk out you say i'm not really sure what he was talking about the whole time i didn't get that much out of it but at least you get the reward at least you're going to end up with is the reward that you ran to come here i'm rabbi says the reward for coming to this kala the arachin kala that happened twice a year is the fact that when you're in there you're kind of squeezed in there with a lot of people and maybe you didn't walk out with that much but you you squeezed in there you joined in together with everyone else to come learn torah and even if you didn't walk with that much torah at least you you made an effort to try to accomplish and you were willing to take this discomfort of being squeezed in together. Amar Rava, Rava says, Agra the Shmaitzah This is a really important piece of Gemara right here. Rava says, the reward for Shmaitza, the reward for, for learning Gemara basically is Svara, right? Is the idea that we're kind of tapping into the logic of Chazal, right? So many times we're learning Gemaras and I really can't figure out any way how this is going to be relevant today, right? And at the end of the Gemara, after two block worth of Gemara, we're going to see what the halacha is. So all of that conversation kind of becomes irrelevant, we think, because what's the point of that conversation if at the end of two block we know what the halacha is? Skip the two block of conversation, just tell us this is the halacha, right? So what Rav is telling us is that the true purpose of learning Gemara is really so that we can try to train ourselves to think the way Chazal, to think the way our Chachamim thought. That's the real reward for learning Gemara. Amar Rav Papa, Rav Papa says, Agra debate Tamya Shtikusa. The reward of going, the, the true reason why one should go to a Beisabal, to, to a mourner's house, to a Shiva house, is to be quiet. That's the true thing that you should be doing. Don't, don't come there to try to comfort him with lots of words. Don't say the stuff that we were learning last night about what you should tell to someone who lost their kids. Just be quiet if you come to a Beisabal. Amar Marzutra, Agra the Tanisa Tzidkasa. The reward for a tinus, the fact that there's a tinus, and we're supposed to be trying to bring a tinus, maybe it's because of uh, the rain, we want it to rain, so we're having a big tinus, and we're trying to get something out of this tinus, right? We're, we're fasting, and through this fasting, we're trying to evoke mercy in Hashem. The real thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to be giving charity to make sure that the poor people who have been fasting the whole day will be able to buy themselves a nice meal at the end of that fast. That's the true thing that we're going to be getting reward for. Amr of Shesha says, Agra de Espeda de 
He says the reward of a hesed, the reward of a eulogy, is the fact that the person can, who's speaking can make us come to tears and, and cry about the, the person who has passed away. And also then think about what we can do to make ourselves better. So that's the reward of coming to that. Amar Ravashi, Ravashi says, Ravashi says the reward for going to, the reward, but the, the main reason why one should go to a wedding and the reward that one gets for going to a wedding is for mili, is for the words, right? So the Gemara and Subas tells us that when you go to a wedding, you're supposed to dance in front of the chassan and kala, and you're supposed to tell the chassan, you got a great prize. You're supposed to tell the kala, you got a great prize. And by making them feel good about who they got married to, you get a tremendous reward. And the Gemara over here is going to explain what that reward is. Amr Huna, Huna says, Anyone who davens out in, outside or in back of the Beis HaKnesses, Nikra Rasha. Right? If someone davens outside of the Knesset, it's called a Russia. Not referring to someone who is davening in Shul in the, let's say, in the hallway facing towards Shul. What we're referring to is someone who is, has his back towards the direction that people in Shul are praying. So let's say you're standing, your Shul is facing east. You go outside, you stand facing west outside. Right? That is not okay. That's actually a terrible thing. Is what you're doing is you're separating yourself and saying, I'm not like those inside. Shinema, as it says, Savar Rishayim Yishalechim. The Rishayim go round about in a, in a way to go this other direction. So basically what you're doing is you're, you're making yourself be called a Russia for doing this type of action. says, This is only said when you don't turn your face towards the base of measures, toward, sorry, towards the base of Knesset, towards the show. But if you turn your face in the direction of the base of Knesset, less fun, but nothing to be concerned about. There was a fellow who was davening in the wrong direction outside the base of Knesset, outside the shul. And he did not turn his face towards the base of Knesset. Cholaf Elio, Elio Navi came, Chazia, and he sees him. Idme Leikataya, he appeared to him like some sort of traveler. Amar Kidubar, Kayamta Kamei, Marach Shalaf Safsura, the Katlaha. He said, This person, you know what's going to happen to him? He screamed at him for what he was doing. He took out a sword and he killed him. Not to say that. Probably none of us will find Eliyahu Navi if we try this. It doesn't seem like it's the type of thing for which the, the punishment should be death penalty punishment. But the Gemara is telling us that one time this actually did happen. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I don't. I don't. Eliyahu Navi. I don't think Eliyahu Navi is going to come. I don't think. Don't try it. I wouldn't try it anyways. It's not a good thing. That, that will not happen. No, I, I can pretty much guarantee. Well, if he came here, he'd be dressed up as as a. I mean, if it was in New York, at least he'd be a black person. But yeah. <laughs> no, very simple. All I'm saying is that the, the Arabian merchant is he came dressed up as what people would expect to happen a murder of those days. So, given the events of recent New York vintage, I, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Nothing more than that. I'm not a racist at all. I'm not from Baltimore. I have no reason to be racist. <laughs> The Rebbe Barabaya, the a fellow, one of the Rabbanans said to Rebbe Barabaya, Some people say that Rebbe said to Adam. What is this? The the Krum Zalos Adam, something which is disgusting about people. There are things which really are in the most important things of this world. There are things which people should really look at as the most important things in this world. And instead, they are mazalzlin. They, they degrade it and they denigrate these things. They read this passage very differently. When someone needs help from other people, their face turns colors like a krum. Krum zalus of adam. The krum is a. I'm sorry. Yeah, zalus of adam causes 
it is a, um, a humiliation, I guess, for for Bnei Ad. My crumb, what is this crumb? Kiyasar Vdimi Amar Vdimi came and he said, There is a certain bird that lives in the, the villages at the sea. Ukrum Shemai, and his name is Krum. And when the sun comes up, his face turns many colors. So what are we trying to say? We're trying to say that if someone comes to need something from the Brias, from everybody else, and he asks for that, it's terribly embarrassing to have to be a, a needy person. So when you do that, you're, you're going to turn into a Krum. Your face will turn colors like a Krum turns colors. It's as if he is being judged with two different judgments. Eshumayim. Eight, the judgment of fire and the judgment of water. Shinemar, Arkavas Enish, the riding of, of man, the Rishainai Banu Beeshubamayim. I'm sorry, the Rishainu Banu Beeshumayim. To our heads will come fire and water. said in the name of Raguna. You should be very careful with Tfilas Mincha, right? So so far what you said is you gotta go to Shulfur Minion and you should dive in your Makikivua in the same place you dive in every day, and you can't dive in outside show. But now what we're saying is, you also have to be careful to dive in Mincha, right? Eliyahu Nabi was only answered at the Tfila that he said during the Mincha time period. Because it says, And that and it was that when it was the Mincha went up, and Eliyahu Nabi came forward, and he said, Answer me, Hashem, answer me. Answer me that fire should fall from the heavens. So the Gemara is expounding. What does this passage that Eliyahu Navi said? What he was saying is, first of all, answer me that the fire should fall from heaven. This is the story of Eliyahu Navi Karma when he was davening that the fire should come down from heaven onto the altar that he had brought forward for his carbon. And the, he had brought forward his carbon together with the 300 priests of Baal who also brought forward their carbon. And he said to Hashem, answer my carbon, do not answer their carbon. He said two different things, answer me. So the Gemara is saying, what does that mean? One thing he was saying is, fire should come onto my carbon. Second of all, I don't want anybody to think that this is just some sort of sorcery that I caused. I want, to be, I want it to be understood by everybody that this is actually Hashem answering me. Even to this harvest, even to this harvest, you have to be very careful with because because of a different passage. I prepared my prayer as incense in front of you. The, the upturning of my palms, or the lifting up of my palms, should be this mincha, this carbon erev at the, at the uh, evening time. So another passage that tells us that even as Shachras also is a very important time to daven. So basically, all three tefillahs are all very important. Anybody who enjoys or benefits from the meal at a wedding, the and does not cause him pleasure. He has violated five voices, right? So what are these five voices? As it says, the voice of, of rejoicing, the voice of happiness, the voice of the chasen, the groom, the voice of the, the kala, the bride. And the voice of that, that says, um, praises Hashem, master of legions. Now, that's the five, five voices that you will have violated if you do not, if you benefit and do not cause joy for them. Now, however, if you cause joy to them, then what's your benefit? What's the reward that you get? 
Five voices. What are these five voices that we're referring to? Shenemar. Now referring, we're going to discuss the verses talking about the giving of the Torah at Harsinai. As it says, and it was on the third day that it was in the morning. And there were um, uh, voices and brachim and thunder. And there was a heavy cloud on the mountain. And there was the sound of the shofar. So we have so we have koilos, that's two. Then we have kol shayfer. Then we have bayihi kol shayfer. Then we have Hashem answered with the call, with the voice. That's five altogether. Eighty. Is this so? It also says that the entire nation actually saw the the uh, the sounds beforehand. So that should end up being seven koilos. Why are we saying there's five five voices? There should be seven. Those kailas, those voices actually were the kailas that were describing what was happening before the giving of the Torah. So the, the giving of the Torah came with five voices, which is why if you cause the chasen and kala to be joyful at their wedding, you will be zeichat to Torah, which is considered to have been given with five voices. Rebbe says, if you cause simcha to chasen and kala on their wedding day, it's as if you have brought a carbon toida, a Thanksgiving offering. Shenemar, meviyim toida beis Hashem. As it says, Mediyim Tayyid Beis Hashem, continuation of Pasik is is a, um, compares it to, let's see, what does it compare it to? It says, Mediyim Tayyid Bechulu, Ki Asher Eshros Bechulu, Sebe Dekra, the Chamisha Kailis, Tila Elhu. This is the end of the Pasik earlier that was talking about the Chamisha Kailis, the five Kailis that will happen, the five voices. It then compares it to the bringing of a carbon Tayyid. It's as if you have rebuilt one of the abandoned and destroyed structures of Yerushalayim, as it says, that when you, when I return the the uh, returnees to the land, as it was in the beginning, as it was originally, that's what Hashem says. So these are tremendous, tremendous benefits to going to a wedding and causing joy to the chasen and kala, right? So today, you don't, we don't walk in front of them and actually tell them, you know, what the way the Gemara in, in Ksubis describes how they used to do it. But what you could do still is you could definitely dance in front of them, right? So this is an actual, a, a very serious mitzvah to dance in front of them. And if someone goes to a wedding and doesn't dance in front of them and doesn't go say mazel to make them feel good at all, there are actually severe consequences for that. Anybody who has fear of Hashem, the var of Nishma'im, his words will be heard. Shenema, as it says, Saif Davar, according to the end of Kehalas here, as it is written, Saif Davar, the end of the matter. Hakol Nishma, everything that will everything will be heard. Kim Yare, Hashem, you should fear. Kizekaladam, right? My Kizekaladam. What does this mean, Kizekaladam? That this is the entirety of man. Amar Reb Elazar, Amar Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Elazar says, Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, Kalayim Kulay Nivra that the entire world was created for this person, for the person who is a Yarei Shemayim. That's how you understand that we say, we say, Seif Davar. The end of the matter is everything is heard. You should fear Hashem, and then it finishes with Kizak Adam, because this is all of man. The Gemara explains what does this mean. So the the simple understanding of that pasuk is to say that this is the entirety of the purpose of man is to follow the 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 word of God and to fear God. But the Gemara is saying what does it really mean? What it really means is the entire world was only created for this person who fears God. He says a little bit differently. He says this person is could be put on a scale against the entire world. He's as worthy as the entire world is. 
They'd read a little bit differently. The entire world was only created so as to be a companion to this individual. I think I'm pretty sure that Rishimin ben Azay and Rishimin ben Zayma, both of them never got married and never had any children. So it's a little bit interesting that both of them, or one of these two, is, is quoted as having been said that the entire world was created as a companion for that individual who's a Yarei Shemayim, was fear of God. It would make sense that they would be looking for this type of companionship, perhaps, because they never got married and never had kids. I'm not sure. Anybody who knows about his friend, that he generally gives him shalom, he says hello to him. He should make sure that he says hello to him first, as it says. He asks for, for peace for and chase after him. And you say, he says it to you, right? And he does not return it to him. He does not say it back to him. You're called a thief. As it says, and you have the uh, burnt the, the vineyard, right? You have stolen from the ani, from the poor man in your houses. Okay, so we're, we're going to go further because we're not going to give a share tomorrow. So we're going to go further. We'll see where we get up to. And then, like I said, tomorrow morning, I will send out a podcast with you, the rest of Daf Zion, people to try to listen to before Shabbos, hopefully, because on Shabbos, we're going to do Daf Ches. It's 9.15, rather, if somebody wants to know. How do you know that Hashem davens? Because it says, quoting a Pasuk, and it says, and I shall bring them to my holy mountain, and I shall make them joyous in my house, in the house of my prayer. Okay? So the Gemara says, it does not say that Hashem is going to bring us to the base of Mikdash, which is the house of our prayer, of their prayer, right? That's how Hashem would say it. Rather, it says, it says, I will bring them to the place of my prayer, right? So what does it mean? Hashem's prayers? We see from here that Hashem actually davens. What, what does that mean? What, what's Hashem going to daven? Who is he davening to, right? Amarav, Zutra Baratovia, Amarav. Zichar Ratovia said in the name of Rav, Yehi Ratzon Melfanai, it may be the will in front of me, Sheyich Beshurachamai Es Kasai, that my mercy, my attribute of mercy, shall vanquish my attribute of anger. V'yagulu Rachamai Al Midaisai, and my my um my compassion should rule over my character. In other words, Hashem is basically davening that He should not get angry with us and He should be compassionate on us. And I shall treat my son with the with the character trait of Rachamim, of compassion. And I shall go with them beyond the letter of the law. And the letter of the law, they might not deserve what I'm going to give them. But I'm going to go beyond the letter of the law and I'm going to give them even more than they deserve. He must have been the He went in on Yom Kippur, presumably, to bring the Kataras and the in the Holy of Holies, the Kadesh Kadashim, very easy, Akatriel Ka. And he sees this being that's called the Akatriel Ka, some sort of manifestation of Hashem, not not a literal being, but some sort of vision. Hashem Tsivakis, Shahu Yoshev Al Kiseram, that he was sitting on the high seat, Vinasa. But Amar Ali, and he said to me, Yishmal Bini Barchini, Yishmal, my son, bless me. 
Amarti Lay, I said to him, Here's an Ovenachach, Shiyach Vashurach Anachas Kascha. So basically, he, he does this flip side of Hashem's Tfila that Hashem davens for himself. He says, I said to him, May it be your will that your compassion should overwhelm your anger. And he kissed me on the head. So why is the Gemara saying over this whole story? Presumably most of us will not be in a position where we will be met by this vision and being asked to give him a blessing. So what's the Gemara telling us the story? The Gemara telling us the story to know that out the hay, and don't think that the blessing of a layman should be weak in your eyes, that even the blessing of a layman should be powerful. Because if even Hashem is happy to get a bracha from a human, then how much more so? The, the difference between any human, the greatest human possible, and Hashem is far greater than the difference between any of us and the lowest human possible. So that's why the blessing of anybody should not be weak, should not be light in your eyes. How do you know that you should not try to make someone happy, to not try to appease someone at the time when he's boiling angry? Because it says, So we're, we're talking about at the time period when after the Chet Ha'ego, and, 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 Meisha, and Hashem basically tells Moshe Rabbeinu that I'm, I'm not going to go with you. Wait for me. Don't even try to make me happy until this until this uh, moment of anger passes by. And and then and then we could and then we could start uh, you know having the conversation. And is it possible that there's anger by Hashem? In there is Tanya, as we learned in Abraisa. That there is describing Hashem he gets angry every day. This is a pasuk in Tehillim. He is a righteous judge, but there is he is an angry God in, in every day at some point during the day. And how, much, how long is this anger? Rega, it's one rega. So what does that end up being? One. So it's one. So this 60 times 60 is 336. One sixteenth of a second. Okay, so it's not so long. So that's how long Hashem is angry every day. Zuhi rega, and this is what a rega is for that Hashem is angry. It's impossible for anybody to know exactly when that time period is. Nobody could ever figure that out. There was one person who knew. The wicked one actually knew this time period. And you know how we know that Bilaam knew this time period? Because there's something strange over here. It says about Bilaam that he knows the will of the alien, of the supreme, of Hashem. Bilaam himself didn't even know what his donkey wanted from him. And yet still, I'm sorry, but he knows what Hashem wants. The only thing that knows is he knows how to figure out that split second during the day, that one one in one fifty-eight thousand that Hashem is angry an hour. That's a, a one hour one fifth one of one hundred fifty. What is it again? One sixteenth of a second a day that Hashem is angry. That's all Bilam knows how to do. And that's Yisrael. This is why the prophet said to Yisrael. That what was the advice that the Melech Moab was going to do? 
what does this mean when it says to know the the, uh, the righteousness of Hashem? I'm Rabbi Lazar. I'm loving Kadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael. So Kadosh Baruch Hu says to Yisrael, You should know how much righteousness I did with you. So I made sure not to get angry at all. Right. So during the time period when Bilam is being asked by, by Balak to go up to these mountains and to curse Kuala Yisrael. He keeps on going up these mountains and he's bringing these karbanas and he's waiting for that split second when Hashem is supposed to be angry. He knows when that split second is. And he waits and waits and waits and it just doesn't happen. So Hashem doesn't get angry. So Hashem basically withheld his anger from ever coming to the forefront. Or else he could have gotten angry and Bilam would have been able to use that time to actually curse us. If I would have gotten angry in that one split second that I normally do, they would not have been left over from the hater, haters of Israel even a tiny bit. This Russian that the Gemara is using, this language the Gemara is using, the haters of Israel is really a, a, um, a euphemism for us, right? So whenever we say haters of Israel, what it means is whenever we're describing that which Hashem wants to destroy, Israel, or that in theory we did something that warrants destruction, we are described as the haters of Israel. We don't want to say B'nai Israel, but rather the haters of Israel, and we're describing us in our state of where we might deserve destruction. Behind the Gamalei Bilam, the Balak, and that's what Bilam said to Balak, Ma Ekev, how can I curse Leik HaVakel? Hashem did not curse. So my ezim, and how can I get angry? Hashem. Hashem did not get angry. You see that all those days Hashem made sure that he did not get angry. The kama zama rega, and how much is it? How long is his anger? It's rega. It's one sixteenth of a second. The kama rega, and how much is it rega? Amar above and beitem rabbi avina rega kimemre. Is that what we said earlier? We know on the rega rasach, and how do we know that this rega he's angry? Says one. One thing of his anger, Chaim Beretzayne. His life is uh, in his in his will, I guess. And here's another place that we can learn out this halacha from. What is this? This is a pasuk in Yeshaya. Right. So close your doors for this one moment until Hashem's anger passes. So another place where we see that Hashem describes himself as if he has a moment of anger. The Amas Rasach, and when is this when is this moment of anger? Is in during the first three hours of the day. Now, how could you how could you really figure out what this is? If you look at the the um the roosters, the what's it called, the thing on their head? The comb. The rooster's comb, if you see it, it, it changes colors. The koi achad kara kol shaita vashaita. The koi achad kara kol shaita vashaita nami koi hachi. Every hour it also has some sort of changing in color that a rooster's comb has. Kol shaita ispe seriki. Every hour, when it changes colors, it still has some tinges of redness in it. Sumki, tinges of redness in it. But he shaita in this hour, less face seriki. In this moment, it doesn't even, the seriki sumki, it doesn't even have these tinges of red at all. It's totally white. And that is the moment at which Hashem's anger has happened. Ahut tzeduki, the have a bit, there was a tzeduki who was in the town or the, the precincts of Rabbi Shuba Levi. Have come entirely too, but he was causing him a tremendous amount of pain. They One day, so what he decided to do is, Rishul Malavi said, you know what, I'm going to take a Tarnagal, I'm going to take this rooster, and I'm going to wait till I see Hashem's anger, and at that moment, I'm going to say to Hashem, get rid of this guy. And he puts this rooster between his legs. And I'll, I'll look at it. When this moment comes, I'll curse him. When that moment came, he fell asleep. 
Amar Shmami, no, I see from here, Lava Yachara Lemevet Hachid. Hashem does not want us doing this. But Rachamal Kamaisav, because we know it says that Hashem has Rachamim on all of his creations, Ksiv. Ksiv, Gam, Gam, Enna Ishlatadik, Loy Taib. And also we know that it says that causing punishment for a righteous person is not going to be good, right? So you don't want to be involved in, in carrying out this punishment. So two things. First of all, Hashem actually has mercy on all of his creations, even the ones who are deserving of punishment. Second of all, I do not want to be the bearer, the instrument of causing this punishment to occur. And therefore, Hashem made me fall asleep before this could come about. At the time that the sun is coming up, and all the kings to the east and the west, and they were putting their crowns on their heads, they bowed down to the sun. That is the moment in which HaKadosh Baruch gets angry, because he sees them all bowing down to the sun, and they should really be bowing down to him. Instead of bowing down to the sun, that is what angers Hashem. says in the name of It's better to have a thoughts of guilt in your heart, or repentance, you know, guilt in your heart. More than many Sets of lashings. Shenemar, uradfa, uradfa es mi The amra So this is a pasuk in Isaiah, and it says, "I ran after." Oh, I ran after the, my lover. And I did not reach them. And I asked for them, I couldn't find them. But I'm, and then I said, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to my first husband. Right? So that at that moment, when you didn't get to what you wanted to do, so then you ended up saying, you know what, I'm coming back to my first husband. So the moment of regret, when you realize that you weren't going to get what you wanted, and now you think maybe I should go back to what I should be doing, that's very, very valuable. Rish Lakish and Rish Lakish says, yes, it's more valuable than 100 lashings. It says, Tachas Ke'ara, the maven mehakois kasil mea. Pasik in Mishle. That Pasik that also describes that it's more the the ge'ara with when you the recognition of them done something wrong is more valuable than the than than a hundred lashes. There are three things that Moshe asked to give him, and he gave them to him. What are these three things? He asked that Hashem should actually rest his presence on Israel. Because after the Chet Egal, Hashem said, I'm no longer going to have my actual presence leading you, I'll have my angel leading you. So Moshe said, no, no, please, we want you to lead us. And he gave it to him. That he says, I will go with you. He also asked that Hashem should not rest his presence on the nations of the world. And he gave, the, gave into this request as well. And I will distinguish you. I'll distinguish um, you and the nation. Right? I and the nation. He also said, I want to know something about your ways. I want to understand why it is that the wicked people get good things and the righteous people get bad things. Right? Why do good people suffer? And he gave him the answer to that as well. Show me your ways. He said in front of Hashem, the Gemara is now explaining what that Pasuk was saying. He said in front of Hashem, Master of the universe, well, how could there be that there is a righteous person and it is good for him? There's some righteous people, it's bad for them. Some wicked people, it's good for them. Some wicked people, it's good for them. I'm, I'm sorry, it's bad for them. He says to him, Hashem says to Moshe, if you have a righteous person and it's good for him, that is a tzadik, a righteous person who is the son of a righteous person. Tzadik, a tzadik who ends bad for him, he's doing the good thing, he's doing good things in life, but it seems like he's getting 
punish him instead of reward. Tzadik ben Rasha, he is a righteous person who is the son of a wicked person. Rasha ben Tzadik, a Rasha, he's a wicked person and things are good for him. He's a Rasha ben Tzadik. He's a Rasha, the son of a righteous person. Rasha ben Rale, a, a, um, a wicked person and it is bad for him. Rasha ben Rasha, he is a Rasha, he's a wicked person, the son of a wicked person. Amar Mar, Mar says, we're going to explain it further. Tzadik ben Tzadik, Tzadik ben Tzadik. He says, it says that Tzadik Betoyvle is a Tzadik ben Tzadik. Tzadik Barale, Tzadik ben Russia. If it's a Tzadik who's getting good things, then he's a Tzadik, the son of a righteous person, son of a righteous person. If he's a Tzadik and it's bad for him, then he's a righteous person, the son of a wicked person. Aini, is that so? It says that I shall remember the uh, the iniquity of the fathers on the sons. And it also says, it says that you children do not get punished for their father's sins. So how could it be that we're saying that the righteous person, the wicked the righteous person who's getting punished is because his father was wicked. That's not a reason to get punished. We asked these psukim that they seem to contradict each other. How do we reconcile them? And we answered, it's not a question. If you continue down the path of your father, then you will get punished for doing something. And not just for what you did wrong, but also for what your father did wrong that you continue doing. But if you don't continue down the path of your father, then you shouldn't get punished. So the problem was like this. The first understanding was that the reason why you're getting punished is because you're a righteous person, but you're doing the same thing. But and like, I'm sorry, you're a righteous person and your father is wicked. But the thing is, if you're a righteous person and your father is wicked, you don't get punished for that. You only get punished if you are wicked and your father is wicked. This is what you have to say. Tzadik v'toyvle, tzadik gamur. When we talk about a tzadik who gets good, good reward, that's because he is through and through a tzadik, through and through a righteous person. There's nothing wicked about him at all. Tzadik v'rali, if he's a righteous person and things are bad for him, he's a tzadik she'ina, he's not really a tzadik gamur. He's, he seems like a tzadik, but he's not completely through and through a tzadik. Russia, if he's a Russia and things are good for him, he's a Russia Shane Gummer. He's not really a complete and total, completely lost wicked person. Russia, Morale, if he's a Russia and things are bad for him, then he's a Russia Gummer. Then he's a completely wicked, bad, and totally bad, bad person. Okay, stop over here. Right.